Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 166 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How you doing? I'm a little tired. <laughs> you sound a little tired. I'm a little tired. Yeah, I understand. Um, I want to, before we talk about this particular episode, I want to say something. I was laughing this morning, so I was listening to the horror episode that you did, and something that I don't think people realize like when we're not on every episode, like I enjoy listening to episodes that you host because I would listen to our podcast right. if I wasn't on it. Sure. Um, so a lot of times we'll do the intro and like I haven't listened to the podcast yet, but I know what you're talking about, obviously. So I was laughing really hard this morning in my car when you and Shannon and Christina and Andrea spent like a minute talking about each other's clothes and it just, it made me laugh. It's like, I, I don't know why I enjoyed it so much. That's my computer making noise, guys. I don't know why I liked it so much, but it la- I laughed very, very hard. So job well Just done. By very you. random. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I enjoyed it so much, but I did. Um, that's not today's episode at all. No. Not, it's not a clothing what episode. What is today's episode, Adam? <laughs> there you go. Good good, good transition. Uh, today's episode is an interview I did with Drew McGarry. Uh, Drew McGarry writes for GQ and Deadspin and a whole bunch of other places, and he's also an author his most recent book is called The Hike, and it's like um, a modern-day kind of foul-language Iliad and Odyssey. Uh, and Drew, weird, I was laughing because he he swears a little bit in the in the episode, and I was like, ah, should I clean this up? I was like, no, if you're going to read his book, you should know that the who the person is. So there's some swearing in this one, just FYI. But something that we don't talk about a lot um, – I'm a massive sports fan. We're both super proud of Cleveland. So Drew writes extensively about sports on Deadspin. Deadspin is a, a sports website. Um, so it was cool to get to geek out with him about that. He also was a um, quote-unquote celebrity on one of the Chopped episodes. Oh, man, I love Chopped. Yeah, so he won his Chopped episode. What? Yeah. That's um, pretty hardcore. Yeah, so he... Uh, we talk about a whole bunch of stuff. We talk about his books. We talk about the books that he enjoys writing. Um, if you're familiar with him at all, you know that he a lot of <laughs> a lot of the stuff that he does in Deadspin revolves around being a dad. So he's uh, he's got some we got some good dad stories in there, some good cooking stories. We run the gamut on a bunch of stuff. So this was a really big like thrill for me because right. I've been a fan of his for a long, long time. So um, yeah, I got to nerd out about all sorts of stuff with him. So. And when you hear him talk initi- originally, initially, you probably will have like an idea in your mind of what type of person he is, and like like a manly type of a guy who only cares about sports. But then he talks about like reading Harry Potter and all this stuff. So, sure, Drew's an all around awesome guy. So he's also famously loud. Um, okay, he has a podcast that he does on Deadspin where he basically is yelling the whole time, and they make running jokes about it. So there's some parts in this where. He is loud, and at the very beginning when he's describing his book, he's demonstrative and is, like, banging on the table, so you hear that a little bit, but all of these elements just felt very Drew McGarry to right. me, so I left I them on. It. 
if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on um, Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds, and they can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, We actually had, sorry, we actually had um, someone email us looking for book recommendations yes. earlier this week so, mm-hmm. or last week or whatever. Um, so, yeah, you can do that. You don't just have to talk about the podcast. If you need some book recommendations, yeah. you can reach out. Oh, and actually, speaking of people reaching out, uh, a, a someone who's been listening to for to us for a while and, and sends us emails every once in a while and actually used to live in Cleveland sent us one asking us if we could like every episode maybe we could send out a rec- a book recommendation of like an older book that isn't something brand new that people could read like like a professional book nerd's classic or something like that um, so off the top of my head I just thought of this because. Drew's book, The Hike, is very much like this. I would recommend reading The Iliad of the Odyssey if you never have. Um, or, like, The Divine Comedy. Um, he also talks about, um, I think we talk a little bit about The Princess Bride, and he talks about The Wizard of Oz. So there's four older book recommendations you can have. I'm not good at just doing one. Um, but I'll try and remember to do that in the future. So, yeah, that I think that's everything. That I everything? think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, send us an email if you want book recommendations. Shout out to Jill. She's being the librarian of the two of us. You were the one who did all of the actual book recommendations. In fact, we got the email and it was fantastic. And I was like, Jill, you're going to have to answer that one. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm already ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's teamwork. So anything else you can think of? Nope. Awesome. Okay. Well, this was a big treat for me. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Drew McGarry on the Professional Book Nerds Hey everyone, it's Adam again, and today I'm excited to be joined by Drew McGarry, who is well known for his work as a correspondent for GQ and a columnist at Deadspin. His writing has appeared as well in New York Magazine, Huffington Post, The Atlantic, and several other large-scale publications. He's written several books, including Someone Could Get Hurt and The Postmortal, and his most recent novel, The Hike, came out in 2016. Drew, thanks so much for joining us today. I forgot to ask, do I get to swear on this podcast? You can say whatever you want. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, um, so for our podcast, because we are kind of a book-centric podcast, can you maybe start by giving us an introduction to The Hike for people who might not have read it yet? Sure. Yeah, I can do that. Uh, although I've, I've been – it's funny because I've, I've had to like sort of pimp books because I've had like f- three or four books out. Yeah. And f- who am I kidding? I know, I, I know I've done four books. <laughs> I love how you said three or four. That's, that is as such if, bullshit. As if they were it. your work. Yeah, that was, that's complete utter <laughs> bullshit. I don't know. It's like somewhere between one and, so, one yeah, and four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I always, I'm a bad salesman of my own books. Sure. I'm always there. I don't have a good elevator pitch forward or anything okay. like that. Anyway, The Hike is a fantasy novel about a guy who uh, he takes a walk in the woods and he gets lost. And he gets so lost that he ends up fighting demons and, and uh, flying vampires and... <laughs> Man-eating cannibal giants and stuff like that. And this whole other dimension has to get home. It's a very, very simple premise. Guy gets lost, has to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of like the Odyssey with lots of cursing, and then there's a crab who curses a lot and stuff like that. The crab is incredible. Um, I think I heard you say the beginning of it, not the fantastical Odyssey part, but the beginning of it's kind of based on a true story, something that Yes, that's right. That's right. Up until, like, the demons and stuff like that, all of it, all of that happened. I was, I took a... I was in uh, East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, and I, I was at a hotel, and I was the only guest in the hotel. It was in the middle of the woods, 
And I'm literally the only fucking guest. And I like, I go and I go down to the clerk and I say, is there a place where, is there like a trail I can walk around? And she's like, no, not really. And I was like, <laughs> really? Like, this is like the Poconos. So I go and I, I walk behind the hotel and then there's, there's a path there. And I was like, well, that crazy old bat. <laughs> yeah, that. So I was like, maybe it wasn't there before she told me that. And then I start walking along and I'm like, maybe he's some weird force only put it there for me <laughs> and that's how it sort of the genesis of the book started so did you actually go down did you take a little hike while you went where while you were there yeah yeah i hiked down the path and then i got so far i started i started to get creeped out because i saw literally no one and i was yeah. like well a, a werebear could come out and eat me at any moment <laughs> and i wouldn't be um so there's a lot of really awesome characters in this book i think sir personally love the crap well, just crap yes um but i'm did you have any favorite characters to write uh, you know, I mean, I think I think it's the it's the hardest thing to do when you're writing a book is to get the characters down, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's something that I've struggled with. I, I still I don't know that I've perfected it. Um, so to me, you know, it's it's very gratifying when I have the sort of the character locked down right. Like the you know, there's Crab and there's Fomona. Um, there are those certain characters where I know the voice right away, mm-hmm. and it's sort of nice to sort of just coast along with dialogue with them and stuff like that or it's it's harder when you got a you know honestly the hardest one is always the main characters the main characters through sort of like always the force through the action right and you know it's always good to have them be sort of the straight man to mm-hmm. a lot of the wild shit that's going on because that's true in the hike and then the post-moral because the post-moral is about a guy who sort of the world collapses around him right. so he has to be sort of the straight man but then you end up getting people complaining like well he's bland or boring mm-hmm. or I don't like him and then you have to be like I don't know what the fuck you want well so for for the hike though because I think it's the same thing I think I've seen you say that the main character kind of has some attributes that you have oh yeah sure yeah and so I mean do you think that's because I mean you've, you know, you've written four books but your your day job as a writer you do writing for all sorts of different people and so in those different areas, you're writing as yourself all day, every day. So yep. do you think that's maybe why it's a little bit easier for you to oh, have the no main doubt. character? There, there's no doubt. I mean, it's really, it's much easier to, to base it on myself and, mm-hmm. and have elements of my voice that I've already, that I already know I can do in there, you yeah. know? Um, and it's up to me, you know, as I go along in books to, to change that up, you mm-hmm. know? I think, I think whatever book I do next, it cannot have, you know, a sort of clueless dad is the protagonist, <laughs> you know. I'm going to have to branch out and I'm going to have to get better at that as we go. I don't know. Clue, I mean, quote unquote, clueless dad has done pretty well for <laughs> People kind of like... Yeah, yeah. It's always, it's always a fun genre. Yeah. Um, I, you mentioned, you know, people kind of say the Odyssey with, with curse words, but th- are there any inspirations? I have some guesses in my mind of things that I've kind of seen in the book, but I'm curious for sure. you, like... Other than the Odyssey being, you know, kind of the obvious one, are there inspirations for you that you kind of took up from either books that you read when you were a kid or anything like that? I mean, I think there's pretty obvious ones like Wizard of Oz is in there, It's a Wonderful Life is in there, uh, Castaway is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, the two biggest influences were a video game called King's Quest that I played when I was a oh, kid. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So like an 8-bit video game where you died 50 million times yeah. just because it wouldn't let you walk, you know. Yeah, the, we had, when I was growing up, I'm the youngest of four, so first off, everything I got was hand-me-down. Right. But um, we had, I think I think it was King's Quest V, and it was on, like, floppy disks on a computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One it, of 20 floppy disks. Yeah, I was going to say, it was, like, 25 floppy disks. And even the thing that would help you, like, the game genie for it, right? even that had, like, this little, like, 
all the answers you were looking for were completely. It was almost like a magic eye. It was like blotted out, and you had, you needed to use this like little. Yeah, yeah I like remember like a, that. Yeah, like a little um, like using red, head. like red cellophane. Yeah, or like exactly like red cellophane. And then my brother and I lost that, and I think we got like two thirds the way through King's Quest Five. So that's not that sounds accurate. Yeah, did you say this like when I'm the thing I might have cut you off after King's Quest? Mm-hmm. Did you say the second kind of inspiration? Uh, the King's second thing Quest? was uh, folk tales by a woman named Ruth Manning Sanders who collected them from like Africa and Eastern mm-hmm. Europe. In Russia and stuff like that, and it was always there were always these folk tales. I mean, basically fairy tales, but not any of the ones that you you know, not the ones you know, not, like not Cinderella, not Snow White, but even though those are fine, but these were sort of the older, sort of darker ones. But they always had elements of there was always sort of like a trickster god yeah. that you know, like a you know, whether it was an a, a talking animal or an mm-hmm. enchanted object or something like that. Yeah. There's a lot of that in there. I think Neil Gaiman has done like the Anon, an, a spider, Anansi, I think, or is Anansi. Okay. Uh, I think Neil Gaiman talked a little bit about those in one of his books. Um, were those some of the books that you read when you were growing up? Those types yeah. Of folk tales and things like that? Those are the ones where I used to, you know, because I wasn't a great reader as a kid, but for mm-hmm. whatever reason I gravitated toward those because they were always arranged by monsters. So it was like a book of demons, book of ogres, book of trolls. Yeah. So I could knock off one monster at a time. Uh-huh. And that's the reading I would do in the library. Yeah. And then, you know, my other stuff was, like, really restricted to, like, basics, like, great brain and, like, choose your own adventure and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that you weren't a great reader as a kid, but you, you know, you're a, a writer full-time now. So did you always know that you wanted to do writing as a, you know, when you were kind of growing up and going through school? Yeah, I think I did. I wanted, well, I wanted to be a comedian first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know... As I did it when I was in my 20s and stuff like that, I realized I wasn't particularly good at it. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't necessarily what I... Like, the things that you have to do to be great as a comedian, you really you have to eat a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do that. Yeah. And I know, and there was no guarantee that I would be good by, you know, at the end of eating that shit. Mm-hmm. I knew I had decent material that I could come up with yeah. as a writer. And so by the time... You know, by the time blogging came around in like 2005 mm-hmm. or so, you know, I had enough material where I could just put it, you know, sort of in written terms on, yeah. a, on a platform. And, I, and by then I knew that I, I knew I wanted, I always wanted, I always liked writing. Um, and I always thought that was, that was a cool thing to do. And so I, you know, right around the time I was in college, I was fine with being a writer and not a performer yeah. necessarily. It's really interesting that you say that about, you know, because you're right, it, you know, being a comedian like there's a lot of shows about it too where um i think pete holmes has one on hbo right now where like he it's him because he's an up-and-coming comedian and like it shows him at those like 2 a.m open mics just absolutely getting crushed right but it's interesting that you sucks yeah exactly but that's it's funny that you say you know you didn't want to do that as a comedian but when you're writing a novel i mean that's a lot of what happens i assume with an editor like you send them a first draft yeah it depends okay it really depends. Um, like for Postmortal, you know, I my editor quit, not because of me. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, this book's so fucking bad. <laughs> but my editor quit a few weeks through and then I got another editor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of these editors are really put upon. Like they have to go through like uh, 100, 200 manuscripts. And my experience has not necessarily been, you know, because you'll get like the top shelf authors. Oh, to my faith, my faithful editor. Yeah. Who who poured over every word <laughs> and read the draft forty million times? That has not necessarily been my experience. Mm-hmm. Although I have enjoyed the work I've done with with my editors, it hasn't been uh, the sort of you know it, it has not been a slog the way mm-hmm. projection is. But obviously, being a writer 
also involves a lot of rejection. Yeah. And it's it's easy to take very personal because someone is not rejecting you in real time mm-hmm. the way a comedian gets rejected. They yeah. process it and then they either say nothing, mm-hmm. which really sucks, or they're polite about pawning your shit off. Yeah. Or they just say it sucks. Yeah. Uh, do you have a preference between kind of, you know, because you do a lot of different mediums, obviously, you write your novels and you've written, you know, nonfiction and then you do kind of like, you know, Deadspin and stuff. There's a lot of instant reaction articles, but there's also stuff for GQ and, uh, you know, doing spotlights on certain people or sure. breaking down. Do you have a preference between what type of writing? No, and I have sort of a 21st century brain where I, I don't have the attention span to stay on one thing too mm-hmm. long. So it's better if I have multiple sort of things open. Yeah. And I can sort of toggle between because if I get stuck on something, I just go to the other one. Or I can, you know, you know, I, I, you know, I can sort of move around as it suits my fancy. And all of them sort of, not only they work different sort of muscles in your brain, but they also satisfy different needs. Like blogging, it's like, oh, something happened. Oh, I have a take on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, boom, the take's out. Oh, yeah. people are reading the take. Then that has that sort of like a, a you know, that sort of heroin rush. Mm-hmm. And then books are much more sort of, it's, it's a long, painstaking process. It's very, you know, and, you know, the response isn't immediate because you're asking someone to read, you know, 280 pages, whatever the fuck. And, uh, but then it's gratifying because then you have an artifact in your hand, mm-hmm. and something permanent that you're, you know. So when you're kind of getting ready to write a book, since you've written four of them now. Yes, four. Uh, <laughs> um, because you have, you know, a steady day job of doing blogging and, and uh, stuff like GQ and, and right. different places. Is it kind of a, a daunting thought to be like, all right, I'm either going to need to take a sabbatical or I'm going to need to work, you know, at night. Like, is it tough to kind of nail down an idea and be like, all right, I'm, I am going to stick my teeth into this. Yeah. Nailing down the idea is hard because then you got to commit to it and see it all the way through. And then, you know, scheduling is a problem, particularly for me. Like right now, like we're getting into August. And so, you know, my my time to write a book is past, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Because I have NFL previews I have to do, and then the NFL takes up a lot of my time. Yeah. Uh, either Deadspin or GQ as the season progresses. Really, the offseason is my chance to write a book if I have one, and I sort of blew it this offseason. I didn't really have the chance yeah. to do it. And the other thing is that the idea has to carry you, you know? Before I did the hike, I had two other book ideas that I, I got, you know, twenty or 30,000 words into, and then I just sort of... Just mm-hmm. sort of petered out. Just the motor sort of died. And so a lot of it is hoping that there's the idea that comes along that carries you. And mm-hmm. those, those have been the only times that I've really, you know, been able to see two novels through. By the way, it, this will not matter to the majority of our listeners. But That's okay. it feels pretty great that you're here on the day that the Browns are opening rookie training camp. Yeah! And that is... My favorite thing you write every year is the Why Your Team Sucks. The Yeah, we're doing... Browns. That's going to be Thursday. That you're doing the Cleveland Browns one first? Cleveland Browns are first. You should save that for last. I know, but I go in draft order now. I used to oh, do it, okay. I used to do it by division. It was such a it just got because you would have these blocks of nothing divisions like the NFC South mm-hmm. and stuff like that. We were just just like, like boring slogs. This so. was just like the only thing the Browns could win is like the Drew McGarry <laughs> wired. All right. No, no. Where the t- where where they go it doesn't matter. Right. It's always more fun to write the Browns than most teams. Yeah, I assume. Right. Well, when we stop recording, I'll we'll talk more Browns. True. Um, I'm curious what types of like when you have time, but what types of things do you read now? Like, do you find yourself reading a lot of books, or is it more so mm-hmm. kind of keeping up to date with 
you know, like you said, you're doing NFL previews, so I'm sure you're doing a lot of research for that. Or, you know, what do you read? When you it is it is hard to find time with it just because just because of parenting mostly because mm-hmm. I have three kids who are relatively young. Um, but I always read before bed. Um, you know, maybe not necessarily much if I'm really tired. I mean, you're talking a couple of pages. Oh, uh, yeah, done. Right, but uh, mo- you know, a, l- most of what I read is a lot of nonfiction. You know, it's the sta- it's the standard man thing. You know, yeah. the men read nonfiction, the women read fiction, and for fiction to connect with me, it really has to move fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I don't read like James Patterson or Lee Child or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it has it's weird. I'm in this weird spot where I want it to be, you know, somewhat literary, mm-hmm. but I want it to move, which is sort of a hard. Yeah. thing to nail and it's so it's something I try to nail you know when I write novels but it's not necessarily something that uh, that happens easily you know mm-hmm. like like I'll fly through Harry Potter I'll fly through um, a Max Berry book or something like that yeah. but then you know there are other things like where I tried to get into Game of Thrones I couldn't do it yeah that's that's a bear there's some I, you I didn't just, watch the and show, I, right? No, I didn't watch the show because I'm too cheap to pay for HBO but like I like fantasy uh-huh. like I played Dungeons and Dragons when I was a mm-hmm. kid but I, you know, I'm I open up the book and I'm like quicksort. He's just making these words up. <laughs> so for me, what I'll do for things like that, like um, you know, for the podcast, I try to make sure I read everything that I'm talking about because I don't want to be an idiot. Of in course, front of the author. Um, you but, can though. Right. Well, yeah, I I feel like I was in a safe place here, but I read your books. But my point was like for me, I'll do audiobooks because it'll like if I'm walking my dogs, going for a run, like, going mm. traveling. It's one of those things where like because I'm the same way like you. If I'm falling asleep. I'll read like three pages of a book and just give it up. Yep. Whereas if it's an audio book, like I gotta keep my like if I my brain loses focus for a minute, I'm like, oh god, wait, what did they just say? And I know I have to kind of like keep on it. So, so it doesn't put you to bed. No, I don't. Well, so I try not to do it when I when I'm sleeping. Although speaking of the couple no, but like if you're for, in the car, yeah, like you drift off in the car. No, I find myself actually being more focused. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I know a lot of people who do it in the car. Yeah, and especially I mean, traffic in Cleveland isn't bad, but you know if I'm. So I'm a, I'm a distance runner. i got two active dogs. I take hiking all the time and things like that. So that kind of chews up a lot of time. Where yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. I could active. see it burning the clock on distance running. That would be a good idea. Yeah, oh, 100%. It, actually, I'm finishing up just going back through the last couple of Harry Potters again because fellow nerd. But um, That would be cool. Yeah. Um, so something I'm curious because uh, people always ask me because I get to sit down with a lot of awesome authors. They always ask like, who are you most excited to sit down and talk with and profile and all that good stuff? So for you, for GQ, you get to profile a lot of people. So who I do? Has there been anyone or a couple of people that you were sort of blown away, like, oh my god, I can't believe I get to meet X, Y, and Z here? Well, like, you know, my the most exciting assignment I got was to meet Motley Crue and mm-hmm. and do a couple of their shows because I grew up with them. Yeah. So anyone where I was growing up with them, I mean, I've also met. A lot of other people I was excited to meet, like Chris Pratt, yeah, and uh, and shit like that. But um, you know, it's there's something about the you know the sort of the people you revere. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to talk to Bob Mould on the phone. I got to interview the Struts, and I really love them. Um, incredible. You know, anybody where where I'm just really sort of mm-hmm. you know, and the other thing is that I can't be too reverential, yeah, because you know I still have a job to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I think I've been able to strike the balance relatively well. Yeah, but it's always it's weird. It's it's always exciting, mm-hmm. but then there's always that moment right before a trip where it's like, eh, I don't know if I want to do this. Yeah, this it, is like it's a little daunting. Yeah. I don't want to fuck it up. Do you ever feel um, 
either when it's for people that you're you're inter- you're you're talking to, or I guess from like a sports standpoint too, from for Deadspin because you're very aware of how the sausage mis- gets made. I guess for you. sure. Um, do you find yourself being like? Can you be a sports fan of like specific teams, or is it more just like? Um, no, I'm still a Vikings fan. Like yeah. I still root for my team. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of. You know, I think I think the way that sports writers fall out of love with sports is because a lot of them have to work the beat, and they have to. Right. So you know, you got a beat writer who grew up loving a baseball team, and so now they have to go to eight, you know 162 games a year. Mm-hmm. They have to cover all 162 games. They right. got to stay up all the way through, even though they have families and stuff like that. Well, that's an easy way to learn to hate baseball. Yeah. Right. Um, it's an easy way to resent what you do, but you know, because I'm a lazy blogger, <laughs> I am not tied to that sort of yeah. schedule that can wear you down and I've also had moments where like <clears throat> like I'll be tweeting during an NFL game and I'm like why am I tweeting why am I not just watching yeah. watching the action and so it's almost like a volunteer like almost sort of involved you know unwittingly taking myself out of the enjoyment mm-hmm. even though I don't need to do that yeah so I shouldn't be doing that. do you feel like because <clears throat> you know people know you so well from Deadspin and you know you're when you say something, you know, people kind of will pay attention to it on Twitter and things like that. Do you feel like you need to keep yourself in those conversations, whether it's sports or otherwise? Like, do you feel the need with social media being instantaneous? Like, do you feel the need to have a comment on everything? Sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like, ooh. I mean, you know, it's more uh, uh, like if I've done, if I, if I, Wrote some tweet that I thought was sort of boring. Mm-hmm. Like, I always want to top it <laughs> yeah. before, like, the day's out. Like, <laughs> like hitting your free throw before you leave the Absolutely. gym. Um, but, yeah, sometimes it's like, oh, I got to say, holy shit, because someone drained a three at the end of a basketball game yeah. or something like that. And it's a weird sort of compulsion. I'm not sure why I have it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, I don't know what necessary. You know, I think I think there's a lot of times where you can sort of, be too fearful of uh, losing your own relevance. Mm-hmm. Like, if you go away, people will forget about you. Yeah. Which, like, if you look at the career of, like, Mickey Rourke, that's not right. clearly not the case, you know. Do you, you, you can go away. Yeah. Do you think, and this is this is a gigantically broad question, so I apologize. But that's all right. Being someone who covers, you know, things that are happening in politics and pop culture and sports kind of across the gamut, do you think social media and these instant reactions has been good for things like that as a whole for news or bad for news yeah uh well probably worse mm-hmm. i mean yeah sure it's worse yeah because people just don't you know people you know it's strictly your average news story Right, mm-hmm. it comes out. There's all the instant reaction, and then the real story is usually revealed in like a book that comes out two years later. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like if you read Columbine, you know if you read uh, Dave, Dave Cullen's book, which is really good, it lays out a whole history, a whole history of the incident, you know, the background of the killers and stuff. It had nothing to do with the Matrix mm-hmm. or Marilyn Manson <laughs> yeah. or any of that shit. But and that was and that was pre-social media. Mm-hmm. That, all that shit happened before social media. So I don't know if that sort of Bang bang stupidity mm-hmm. was caused by social media, or social media just happened to be around for. Yeah. But yeah, obviously it's not good that you know that people, including the president, sort of exist in this world where they are never interested in losing an online argument. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they don't go. They don't go online 
to be uh, to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they go to shout and have their voice be heard. Yeah, and to be validated. Yeah, so. I think the the one part I will say that I think is for I like it for sports because it creates like a community of people watching it. Like you said, I watch the over an overwhelming majority of Cleveland Indians baseball games, and that's an just a long thing to do but it's like if i'm on twitter while i'm doing it I kind of feel like i'm not alone and well that's another thing yeah. it's cool that and like award show twitter and stuff where it's yeah. like you feel it feels communal uh-huh uh even though you're not there in the room with people yeah i mean i've definitely had that where you know something wild happens in an nfl game and i i want to see the moment oh of absolutely it. yeah and it's cool and it's wild and i re- i do like that yeah um and it's 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 you know, you have to find in your own life the balance where it enhances the experience and then mm-hmm. where it's it's becoming a detriment and you're actually looking yeah. away from the action right. and, and missing life. That's why I think Twitter is good for baseball because even though I love baseball, something happens like every 20 minutes. So Yeah, good for football too because there's a commercial break every eight seconds. Yeah. So. All right, we talked about books, talked about everything you cover. Now we got to get to the important stuff. You were on Chopped. Yes. And you are a a very accomplished home cook. You won Chopped, so... I did. What, what is that process like as someone else who does all the cooking in his house? I'm just like, what is the day, or is it one day of Chopped? One day, yeah. It was a long day. Like, what they, what they say is you either want to lose first or win. Yeah. Like, if you, you don't want to, like, go out in the middle rounds, because then you've been there all day for mm-hmm. nothing. Because uh, I got there, like, 6.15, and we were done, like, 10 or 11. Oh, my God. And all the cooking stuff is done in real time. All the stuff that you see on the on the show, I swear that's real. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know the ingredients beforehand. You're in this big, essentially, you know, sort of a warehouse shape. Mm-hmm. They have multiple cameras on it. It's filmed like a sporting event. Yeah. Um, and then there's the the there's the the production side where you get interviewed after every course, and you have to wait for other people to be interviewed. You're mm-hmm. sort of waiting in a hallway and stuff like that. And like it's like any shooting anything else, it can be tedious. Yeah. Um, but the process of the cooking itself and using the kitchen is really fucking cool. Yeah. Are they so are the when you're in between rounds, like are the hosts inter- or like the are the people there like interacting with you guys? Or are you just kinda like sitting there, kinda We're sorta of sitting there because all our phones got confiscated, but the judges are allowed to keep theirs. Okay. So the judges on break just can use their phone. They can relax, use their phones, and also do work on their phones because they're professional chefs. Yeah. Uh and then um, and Ted is sort of between them, and he and he'll sort of chill out and be mm-hmm. all right. But mostly, you know, they're gonna want you quiet. Like if you're in the if you're in the the kitchen part, they want you quiet because they're they don't want any extra sound because they're shooting something wild, like they're shooting right. a, a plate of radishes or some shit, <laughs> and you can't make any noise. So a lot of times there's a lot of awkward standing around just because yeah. they're taping. You were, I mean, it's like any it, again, it's like. It's like being on camera for any other shoot. You're, right. like, you're sort of like a piece of meat that gets moved around. Yeah. So when they're critiquing dishes, obviously for the show they break that down into like 45 seconds. Yeah, it's like an hour in real time. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Yeah. So what are they, they doing? They don't even go through all your – the show doesn't even list all the things that you fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of assumed that. Would like break. I served like a raw pork thing to one of the judges <laughs> and that didn't even make the show. As long as it's not raw red onions, I think you're in the clear. Right. That's like the one thing you're not allowed to do there. Right. Um, so what do they do? Like, do they at least try everyone's food first? Yeah. When the food okay. is hot, they bring a- it to the judges and they taste it. Then they bring it to be photographed. And then it comes back a l- little later mm-hmm. for judging. 
and they and they start eating it again. But by then it's fairly lukewarm. So yeah. the real their real taste comes at the first the yeah, the first time. I'm just imagining like ice cream and the stuff at the end. It's right. time to get it. It's like melted. And... Right. They have to get a, a genuine taste of it. Yeah. And then if they if they have to do extra for show, that's fine. Yeah. Um so away from chops when you're at home, like what's your favorite kind of stuff to cook at home? I just got a smoker, so now I'm all I've mm-hmm. turned into like smoker dad, and I'm trying to like master the smoker and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But really, like you know, anything that the kids will also eat is a pizza night. I like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and anything you know, any sort of big meals like a like. Frankly, I I like searing any piece of beef. And yeah. Do you, do you find yourself at restaurants? Every, I do this all the time. My wife gets really annoyed at me. Like, I'll order something. I'm like, yeah, it's good, but I could have made that at home. Like, do you find yourself being overly judgmental of stuff? Yeah, because you're spending a lot of money out, yeah. right? And you're you're essentially paying for someone else to cook for you. Right. So you kind of hope that they're better than you yeah. at it. So, like, I really don't like – like, I'm not going to go to a steakhouse because I'm perfectly fine with the steak I make at home. Right. So I'm not going to pay $30 for a fucking steak. Yeah. Like, that's stupid. <laughs> You know, or like a roast chicken. I can roast a chicken at home. I uh, anytime I see someone get like a bland chicken at a restaurant, I'm stupid. like, why are you leaving your house? Yeah, it's fucking stupid. Yeah, but like, so I'll get the things that I can't like homemade pasta. I never make homemade pasta, so I get that, yeah. or or some sort of, you know, like tonight I had like I had like octopus, and I uh-huh. never make octopus. Yeah. So like anything like that where I know I can't make it. Yeah, because all and it's not arrogant. It's just being practical. Like, yeah. Like, oh, did I really? Did I pay twenty bucks for yeah. a stupid strip steak? <laughs> Wait, you said that you wouldn't make homemade pasta, but didn't you do pasta on chopped? Yeah, but I didn't make it. Oh, okay. I just oh, I got you. Dry. Like the noodles, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like making the actual noodles. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's something I don't want to. No, do, so. I don't. I don't want to do. That. I don't yeah. make that or bread. Yeah, you. Oh, you don't. Oh, making bread. I don't want to make bread. No, I'm the okay. I'm the same way. I so. don't want to do it. All right, so towards the end of our podcast, we do nine. Uh, we call them the Nerd Nine just because professional book nerds sure. like alliteration. Nerds. Yeah, exactly. Just real lighthearted. So um, they're sort of book related, but the first one is what's the last book you finished reading? Last book I finished reading was by Gene Shepard. It was Wanda's Hickey's Night of Golden Memories. So the guy who, uh, the genius behind a Christmas story. Oh, nice. One of his memoirs. Nice. Um, you kind of answered this before, but favorite place to read? In bed. In bed, yeah. Uh, do you have something that you would consider a guilty pleasure? Reading? Um, just in general. Like mine, I spend too much time on Instagram posting pictures of my dogs. Like, <laughs> oh, uh, oh, that's tough. I mean, hate, hate reading anything bad. Yeah. Probably. Okay. Um, what's, I, during, during election season, like I would listen to Rush for like two minutes. Okay. And then... And then and then get my boy appointment. <laughs> What's uh, one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Oh, man, there are so many. Let's see, New Zealand, um, Africa, India, mm-hmm. so like Cape Town. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to go back to Australia. I was born there and like we visited when I was like 15, but that doesn't really count. Like, okay. you, you know, you can't go get, I haven't gone and gotten a proper drink in Sydney yeah. or anything like that. Um, Turks and Caicos, too. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Thanksgiving. Are you a... Yeah. Plus there's football. You don't have to get anyone. No, no, no. That's the dad holiday. Yeah. Uh, Are you a coffee person or a tea person? Uh, I drink coffee now, but I started drinking when I like only like two years ago. Only because I got worn out by parents. I was going to say, did you have have kids and and didn't have coffee until they were a little bit older? Yeah. Wow. I prefer the taste of tea. Okay. Uh, Cats or dogs? Dogs. 
you uh do you have a favorite food uh smoked salmon any smoked fish uh and then the last one of these if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead who would you pick yeah, that's what everyone gets mad at me for. No, 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 don't, don't get mad. <laughs> I don't know. It's always like Jesus or Hitler, isn't it? <laughs> um, actually, we've had a couple. Uh, Alan Cumming said President Trump just because he wanted to get inside his head, which I thought was. There's nothing weird. there. Yeah, well, There's nothing fucking there. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Val Kilmer. Oh, there you go. That's perfect. Or no, no Gallagher of Oasis. Yeah. Um, all right, so I got two more for you. One, the something that I still talk to people about is the last page of your book. Yeah. I'm not going to give anything away, but A, did you kind of come up with, did you think of that ending prior to getting there? And then is that something that you kind of look for? For me, I the best, the biggest comment I can give a book is I read your book like five months ago and I still tell people about it because the ending sticks with me. So do you think, look for books that kind of do that as well and again like did you have the ending decided I don't look for books that do that because I think that's kind of fool's gold mm-hmm. you know it's like um, it's like a Shyamalan film where you want yeah. a thing to be the sixth sense after that uh-huh. um, to me it, it was something I ha- you know because it's sometimes it's fun to write to an ending mm-hmm. and there's a scene in the book that is not the ending that I've been sort of writing to that I was looking forward to mm-hmm. um, but then as I was writing it um, I realized it needed more and then there was this other thing that came up. And so I, I knew I was going to have to do that as mm-hmm. well. But in my mind, it was always sort of a coda. Yeah. Um, because I think when you, when you have endings like that, that can be a bit of a surprise. Um, it only works. It, it only really works if it's not necessarily necessary. Yeah. You know? Because people have to you still enjoy the journey. The whole point can't be getting to the end. Yeah. And that's always a mistake that, you know, a lot of places make. Mm-hmm. And it has to make sense, too. Like, you have yeah. to be able to go back through a narrative and be and see all the clues that, that brought you there. And it all has to make sense in the end. And it has to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was watching I was watching Logan. And, like, Logan's an okay movie. Yeah. But uh, it has a you-can-talk moment. <laughs> where, like, the girl just is, you know, mute for an hour. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden she starts talking. She's like, you can talk? Yeah. And they give no reason for her to not be talking. Yeah. It's like, why the fuck you should just talk? That's lazy. Just make her talk. Yeah. I hate that trope. (laughs) Drives me out of my goddamn mind. Um, All right, so last one question. uh, Last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading your books? I just hope they enjoy themselves. I have no no interest in anything other than reading and writing being fun. Mm -hmm. There are too many writers who are too serious, or they're trying to teach you a lesson, or they're just getting up on their soapbox and yelling at you. Mm Mm-hmm. And or they're you know they're trying to define the meaning of life at you, you know there aren't enough writers in my mind who uh, think about the reader and think about whether or not the interplay between the reader and the writer is going to be any fun. Mm-hmm. So that is my only goal. And if there are serious things you pick up along the way or serious connections you make, all the better. But my only interest is can I tell the story? Can I tell the story to my the best of my ability? and keep you engaged and entertained throughout. It's all that matters. Perfect. Jared, thanks so much for joining us today. Sure. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.